All right, welcome back to our second lesson on um, introducing the idea of macroeconomics. Last time we talked, we mentioned that we have three big areas that we like to measure when we think about business fluctuations and things that are important to people. Unemployment, GDP, and inflation. And the first one that we're going to take a look at today is unemployment. So why do we care so much about uh, unemployment? Well, really simply, if a person is employed, then they're making money. And they then go and they spend that money somewhere else. So it's exchange for goods and services with somebody else. And that person then has money. And then they go and exchange their goods and services with some, somebody else and so on and so forth. So there's this interrelationship between this person being employed and making money and this person making money and so on and so forth. Well, imagine what we're, how this cycle would be affected if this person didn't have a job. Then this person would lose money and not be able to spend money that this person relies on for their livelihood. So having a sense of how unemployment happens and, and measuring it, knowing where it's at, is really important to understand the health of our economy and whether it's not it's worthy who might be involved. The, to measure this, we take a look at the unemployment rate. So we start with the idea first of simply how many people are employed. And this is or, or employable. So typically, if we think about this box representing all the people that are employable, we take a look at people who are age 15 or over. Well, we know from there that there are certain groups we're probably not going to include. So think, for example, if we had students. So this red person here is going to be a student. Is it fair to say that they're unemployed if they are in school? Next, we might think of, say, somebody who is 90 years old. Do we really expect a 90-year-old to be working? So we might say, well, yeah, retirees. We're not going to really include retirees. What about something like, say, a stay-at-home dad? Stay-at-home dad, we're not anticipating, even though their job is important, they're voluntarily out of the workforce. So, out of everybody that is over the age of 15, we're only going to take a look at a specific subsection, we're going to exclude some. So these people here, we're going to exclude them from our calculations because they're, even if there were a job, they wouldn't have one. They're either busy studying or they're retired or they're voluntarily out. And there can be all sorts of different reasons uh, why they're out. So what we do is we take a look at what we call now what's left over, and that is our labor force. So when looking at our labor force, 
what we're going to do is just ask the question, out of our entire labor force, and I'm just going to label that LF, we're going to have a percentage of people, or a number of people who are working, the number that are working, we're going to have a number that are not working. So out of our entire labor force then, to get a percentage that are unemployed, we're just going to take the number unemployed, uh, not working, unemployed, and see what percentage they represent of our entire labor force. So with all this in mind, there are a few things that we still want to, to um, bear in mind. So we've got four categories of individuals who are without work. We have job losers, leavers, job re-entrants, and new entrants. And this is important to think about when we think through the labor force itself. When we think about, for example, our new entrant and uh, our job lever, well, our new entrant was really somebody who already was here. They weren't in the labor force to begin with, and now they're coming into the labor force. So often we might think of a student getting their first job. A job lever, somebody who was in the labor force already, and they are now out of the labor force, so maybe they retire. Um, a job loser is somebody who has already, and uh, a job loser is somebody who is already in the labor force, even though they've lost their job, they're still part of it. So they've just moved from working to the non-working. And lastly, the re-entrant is somebody who was outside the labor force and has now come back in. This re-entrant actually might warrant us talking about something we call a discouraged worker. Now, this is an interesting category. This is somebody who has voluntarily left the labor force because, well, quite often they couldn't find a job. But if there was a job, to, so they're actually out here, if you ask them, are you looking for work? They'd say no, so they're not in the labor force. But if there were a job available, they would take it. Um, this discouraged worker is something we saw a lot of in the United States in 2008, 2009, 2010. And we have seen it recently in uh, the Alberta economy with the downturn of the oil industry. So there's three types that have different repercussions. There's frictional unemployment. There is there is 
structural unemployment. And then there is what we call cyclical unemployment. So frictional, the way we might think about frictional unemployment is to say, I lost my job here. So there's going to be a bit of time, we're not going to cut off their head. Uh, there's going to be a bit of time between me losing my job. So there's going to be a bit of time between now and when I find a new job again. So that's called frictional unemployment. And it might be the case that I lost my job yesterday and there's another job out there for me somewhere already available. I just don't know about it yet. So it takes time to connect these two things. And that's what we call frictional unemployment. Structural, we're not too worried about frictional we just got to find ways to communicate with the, uh, those people and those jobs. Structural is a little bit different, and that's uh, somewhat more problematic longer term for an economy. Structural says there is a job available, and there are people who are unemployed. Let me think, well, this should be easy. Just get those people in these jobs. The trouble is that right in here, their skills are lacking. So you might have somebody, for, for example, we might need a lot of accountants over here, but the people with accounting skills uh, the people who are unemployed don't have accounting skills, so that's structural. Cyclical unemployment, this is what we've seen recently in Alberta. So cyclical unemployment happens just with the regular ebbs and flows of our economy again. And as it goes through that economic cycle, as we produce more, produce less, produce more, produce less, produce more, produce less, well, cyclical unemployment is unemployment that's caused as a result of the downturn. Cyclical employment is employment that comes as the result of an upturn. So those three types of unemployment that we have to account for. We have this uh, idea then coming out of all of these that's called full employment. Interestingly enough, full employment can occur even when there is uh, people who are, are people who are out of work. So full employment implies that all the jobs, all the number of people who are looking for work and the, and the jobs are available are exactly equal. So when we think through that in terms of our types of unemployment, that would mean that there's no cyclical unemployment. There might be structural unemployment, 
And there might be frictional unemployment. But effectively, this idea of full unemployment says that for all the jobs, all the that have all the jobs that have are matched to all the people who are able to do those jobs. The next uh, variable we're going to talk about is inflation in our next lesson.